It's so good to have Jürgen with us this morning. I love Jürgen. He's such a good friend to Ollie and I and the team here. We're grateful for his input. We, we can just tell by just spending a few moments with him how much he loves the Word of God. And I know that you're going to catch some of that this morning as he teaches us. So let's put our hands together and just welcome Jürgen as he comes and shares this morning. That's fine, Andy. I don't need that. Thank you. What? That's how you do it. I don't need notes. I got object lessons today. Good morning. I'm uh, Jürgen. And I'm following Jesus. Can you see that? Okay. It is an onion. Well done, Andy. Uh, yeah, it's Palm Sunday. Um, most of the Christians today would celebrate that, the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And there's a reason behind that, why we do remember that and why we do it every year just before Easter. But uh, um, maybe you did or you did not read the story before you came in today, and I just want to make sure we know what we're talking about. Uh, I asked Martin. He kindly agreed to read. You're going to use that. Well, see, Habits. Okay, am I good, Marky? So this is Luke chapter 19 from verse 28 onwards in the ESV translation, and it's titled The Triumphal Entry. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany and the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Then if anyone asks you why you're untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Then as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Then some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Then when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, then tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then when he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house should be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people who were hanging on his words. Thank you so much, Martin. And here are the notes, Ollie. 
We do use notes. I'm still a paper guy. So you heard this story, and there's so much going on, and you might be so familiar with it. I remember it must have been 1974 when my parents became a Christian. I started going to Sunday school, and that first lesson ever was exactly this subject. So I do remember it, and I remember about Jesus and the donkey, and we had these little flanerographs with Images, you stick on it, old school, very old school. But uh, there's so much going on in this story, and I want to invite you today. If I succeed in what I planned today, you will go back and read your Bible differently, I hope. There is this royal procession at, at, at a first glance. If you look at it, yeah, it looks like a king is coming into the capital city. It is King Jesus. That's what they shout. Uh, was he a king? Well, not really, but they said he was. So what's going on here? He comes in like a king. He's riding. He's not walking. And there's crowds, but there's, there's so much wrong. It's, it's like Superman showing up in Alice in Wonderland. It's like, what are you doing here? It's, it's, it is wrong. And if you look at the story, you will find out if this was a conquering king, and if he was coming into the capital city to take his throne after he has overthrown his adversaries, his enemies, then you would expect him to take some military action. There would be some decapitations. There would be a lot of that kind of stuff going on. No, that's what we do when we have a new king. But there's no military action. There's no swords. We should, we should stop and ask, whoa, whoa. What's going on here? Because this is odd. This is not how movies are made. This is not how the story normally worked until now. If you were there, you would be familiar and you would say, Oh, finally, now we're getting there. The king is coming. Get the Romans out. You know, kick them off. What about Herod? He's not even a Jew. Let's get rid of him. Let's have one that's a descendant of David. That's what we need, a king of our own. No military action. Did you ever wonder why the Romans didn't bother? Remember? The Romans? The bad guys? They will break your kneecaps when you don't pay taxes? They don't bother. A new king? Nah. They didn't even leave their whatever they were doing. Yeah. So that's odd too. And then why is he riding on a young donkey? Why on a young donkey that no one else rode on? What's going on here? It's not a horse. And he's not walking either. So that's odd. And you start wondering, and suddenly the story is not as familiar as you thought it would be. And why are the leadership and the elders, the leaders of the father's house, as they would say in Israel, why were they not part of that ceremony? Why were they not leading all the people who were singing and shouting? They were kind of like off, as we find later on a side, watching and having their own comments. So what's going on? It is a royal procession, but it doesn't look right. And once you start asking these questions, you, you think, oh, what is going on then in this story? Luke, what are you doing here? You seem so meticulous. You're a scientist. You're, you're a doctor for crying out loud. So, so you know what you're doing. What are you doing? And then you would find that there are some quotes from the Old Testament 
And you think, oh, so maybe there's another layer to this story. That's how stories work. You hear it, and then you think about it, and then you find another layer and say, oh, what is it with, a, with, with this blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord? That seems familiar. Oh, yeah, of course, we know our scriptures, don't we? Or do we? It's Zechariah 9, verse 9. Baruch Bab Shem, blessed is the one who comes in his name. And we add of the Lord, just to make sure in whose name. So that's the quotation, yeah? Oh, so what you're saying, Luke, is this story is tied back to that one? So what's that story about then? Well, it's about the king being victorious over his enemies and his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Oh, so there is something triumphant about it. Or at least it was. So what is this? Is this an, a reenactment? Maybe. And then you have the people. And in another gospel, you will find children even getting involved, which is sad. We don't have them here. Otherwise, I would have chosen not Luke, but Matthew probably. But they say, blessed is the king. Psalm 118, verse 26. And you see it there. Oh, the king. That's added. But blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So this entry and the one who comes in God's name, not in his own name. Also, he's representing God. So God is leading us again. He's our king again. Oh, I see what's going on. So you're linking it all back. You want us, Luke, you want us to think about what happened before. This is a reenactment. So what's different then? And suddenly it's like, can you spot the difference? It's that kind of game. It's like, okay, what happened when Solomon was very young, well, not that young, but pretty young, and he was riding into Jerusalem on a mule, which is half of a donkey, and, you know, and he became king, and he went to the temple. And then you wonder, oh, well, maybe this guy's going into the temple, and as we read, well, yes, he is. So what is it? It is the king. It's the promised one coming. But still, there's stuff that's not right. It just doesn't look right. Who is this donkey rider? Well, if you knew your Hebrew scripture, if you know your, as we call it, Old Testament, which I don't like to call it that, if you, if you knew your scripture, your Hebrew part of the scripture, then you would know that Solomon, son of David, was the promised one who would bring the kingdom and it will be peaceful. Even his name is peaceful. And I think, okay, so is this guy peaceful? Well, yeah, there's no swords, no tanks, no bombardments, nothing going on. But then I would ask you, do you remember there's another guy riding a donkey in the story? In the story of Israel, is there another guy riding a donkey? Come on. You Bible nerds out there, you know it. Who is it? Balaam. Well done. Balaam, yes. Was he a Jew? No. Was he an Israelite? No. What was he? Well, he was a witch doctor from a foreign nation. He was worshipping Baal, but he knew about Yahweh, and for some odd reason, which we haven't figured out yet, Yahweh used him. What was he supposed to do? Curse Israel. But he was riding on a donkey, and eventually Yahweh confronted him, and he could not curse Israel. What did he do? He blessed. And one of the most famous and well-known prophecies came from this foreign prophet and witch doctor, there's this star rising from Jacob. You know, you know your scriptures. So, should we think about that? Has this something to do with the star that's rising from Jacob? Has this something to do with the blessing over Israel when Israel was not aware of it and was at its worst? 
Yes, it has to do. There's another layer, see? We only, we only went this far and we already have three layers. So what about, the, what about Jesus coming from Mount of Olives? Bethany and Bethphage. That's east of Jerusalem. If you're a little bit of a Bible nerd, you know that east is important. Come on. When Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, driven out of the garden, they went east. When Cain killed Abel and he had to run, he ran east. And when Jacob tricked his brother, he ran east. And when the Israelites entered the promised land, they came from the east. Come on, know your geography. You have to. Otherwise, the story doesn't make sense. And now you have this king riding in from the Mount of Olives, which is on the east. It's a coming back. There's so many layers there. It's the end of the exile. The end of the exile is entering the land from the east. Jesus is inaugurating the end of the exile. Is it completely over yet? No, 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 no. We're still in exile. I went to a church once and they said, the greeting team, really nice people, really lovely people, and I love that church. And, and, and there was this one person saying to me, welcome home. And I think it was a bit abrupt what I said, but I said, I'm not home yet. <laughs> because yes, church in a way is home. This is family, but we're not home yet. Let's face it. There's still a little bit to go. But the start of the end of the exile is here, and we should rejoice. We should today remember the, the end of the exile has come. Also, there is the end of the exodus. Do you feel estranged? Do you feel like you don't really belong? Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't know why you're here today. Maybe you came to just to check out. But listen, in this story, there's something for you. Your distance from God has been diminished to one single step. It's that one single step that you have to take and say, yes, I want to be part of it. I want to cross this border. I want to be part of this family, of this nation, of this story. In all those layers, there's a place for you. For each and every one of us, there's a place. It's the end of the exodus travel, and it's the end of the exile, because the king has come back from the east, and so are you. And Jesus was weeping over the city. Why was he doing that? That's important. There's only so few occasions when Jesus actually wept, and this is one of them, because he knew what was going to happen. The center of religious life, the place Yahweh God himself chose to have his presence live. But was he there anymore? Well, he was now in Jesus. But Jesus looked in the future and he saw that's not how it's going to be in a very short time. And we know that about 70 years later, the temple was totally destroyed. And Judaism, as they knew it, was gone absolutely gone. And Jesus cried. Jesus literally wept because he cared. Why would he, why, why would he cry? Because he's a king, but he cares. He cares. And what's the point for us then, you know? We should think about it. 
If Luke brings that part of the story in, then we should, then we should really, really think hard about it. Why was he crying? Well, basically, he was rejected. Basically, he wasn't accepted. He was in Jerusalem before that, and he knew that here he will be killed. In a way, he prepared everything and made sure that they would kill him. That's why he was so provocative. He had to die. And Paul later on in the story, in one of his letters, says, well, if the powers and principalities of evil would have known what he was doing, they would have not killed him. They would have not killed him. But they did because they had not clue. The prophecies of the Old Testament, do they seem sometimes kind of like veiled and coded for you? They had to be. They had to be. Don't be so hard on yourself if you don't get some of them, because neither did the powers and principalities understand what's going to happen, that this king is actually a servant, and the triumphant one is actually going to die, and by his death, he will conquer death, and he will be alive again, and live forever, and rule forever, and bring many sons and daughters back to God. They didn't see that. But Jesus knew it, and he did it, and that's why he was crying, because they had absolutely no clue. Now, that's a bit tricky because we just read. They were crying out, Hosanna, save us, son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They knew their Bible, and they had their expectations. But now, that's not what happened. This guy will die in a week. So I think we have to be careful. Because sometimes we got so excited about what God's going to do. And we have, we have our mental images of, of how he would do it. And then he does it in a different way. And you, you plot out your, your journey and you think it's, it's going to be smooth, a smooth ride. And then life just crushes on you. And you think, what is this? Why is this happening to me? But there's a way in which God does it. And turns everything bad into something good. And mind you, whilst he knows that beforehand, he's weeping. Because one thing he wants, for you to trust him that he is good and that he is for you. And then he enters the temple and that should have been part of his coronation and we see that there's, it's reminiscent of reforms that happened before. If you read Kings, if you follow the Bible Project reading plan, you are in Kings now, and you know what we're talking about. There were certain kings that brought reform. They went back to the temple, took out all the idols, all the stuff that shouldn't be there. Actually, at one point, they found the Hebrew Scriptures, like, oh, we have a Scripture. Now, how low can you be when you even forgot that you, God, has given you a written something? That sounds a bit familiar today, right? We call ourselves Christians, but when's the last time you dusted off your Bible? Just asking. And then he's rejected. He is rejected. Because the people that should have led the whole procession were against and said, nah, that, that, that doesn't, that's not right. That's not how, who is this guy? Who's the prophet from Galilee? Galilee? That's not even suburbs, that's somewhere, backland. He was rejected. But then you would think, because you got used by now, there's layers and we have to look back. So what's this then an echo of? Well, remember, 
When Yahweh God with mighty hand drowned Pharaoh and his armies, and they came to the mountain Horeb or Sinai, and God showed up himself and was speaking to the whole nation. And they were just so afraid and they were freaking out and said, tell him to shut up. You know, that's enough. We can't. You know what? We have a great idea, a better idea than he has. Let him talk to you, Moses. Let him talk to you, and then you tell us. Because we don't want to hear from God. Now, if you were God, how would you feel about that? Have you ever tried being nice to someone and inviting them into a friendship and being like abruptly rejected? Is rejection part of your personal story? Did you grow up rejected? Maybe you're a child that never was really wanted. You just happened to be there. There's no such thing with God. But it is with humans, and it hurts. And, and you know, it hurts. And then later on, this nation says, we're done. We, we need a king. Why do we need a king? Yahweh is your king. No, no, we need like, like a real king. No, God is a real king. No, 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 like, like, like the other nations. We need to fit in. Come on. We, we can't just stick out like a sore thumb. We need a king to lead us in battle. Well, Yahweh has led you in battle until now. You've been victorious. Come on. Look at his place. It wasn't yours, and now it is. Yeah, but we need a king. And Samuel, who was the last judge and the prophet, he, he was upset, and he went and talked to God and said, what is this? They've rejected me. I was leading the nation. Now they want a king. I said, don't worry. Remember? Yahweh said, they've rejected me, not you. They've rejected me. So there's at least the second time when the nation entirely rejected their king. And they had Saul, and we know how the story goes. And then they had David, and so on and so forth. And now we have Jesus coming as a king into Jerusalem just to be rejected. And in about a week's time, they all, all cried out, crucify him. And they chose another one, remember? Barabbas. So, is this a story of rejection? Oh, I bet you it is. Now, where are we in all these layers? We're pulling back layers. And the more we get deeper, it hurts. And we feel, oh, why do I relate so well to this story? Why is there something in me, deep in me, reacting the way it does to what happens to Jesus? Well, because you're made to. You're made to feel it. It's written in a way that makes you think and rethink and revisit. And then you pull back layers by layers. And the deeper you go, the more you start crying. And that's where this one comes in. Do you see it now? I won't peel it because... Yeah, you got the point. The more you start peeling, the more you cry. But it's good. It's good because you get to the bottom of it and suddenly you realize, I am part of this ancient story. Well, if I'm part, then who am I? Where am I in this story? And there's a few applications. First of all, I want to, I want to ask you, as a friend and as someone who really likes and loves you and this church, do we train ourselves 
to see repeated, repeated patterns in the history of the Bible. Because there's so much stuff we don't apply to ourselves because we don't bother to pull back the first and the second layer. But we're all in there. There's so much. We could go on forever. How about borrowing the donkey? It was just borrowed. There are moments when God might ask you, can I have this? And you say, yes. He'll give it back to you, but you first have to surrender. And that, again, will trigger some memories, right? Remember Abraham and Isaac and all those stories, yeah? Can I have your sandwich, please? You will end up before the judgment throne, and he will say, well done, you. Well, well done for what? You have fed me. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You gave me a sandwich. When? Remember that co-worker? Remember that immigrant? That's when you fed me. You're part of the story. Again, what we learn today is that Yahweh, God, is blasting our expectations. The blessing, the revival, all that stuff will happen, definitely. It has to because it's been prophesied, but it might not be the way we expect it to be. And our role in the story might not be the one we would choose if we could. But trust him. And trust me when I tell you, he knows what he's doing. And wherever he places you, and whatever season of life you're in, whatever you, he calls you to do, do it faithfully because he knows the plan. He's blasting your expectations, but he's also blasting them in a good way. He's blessing you more than you would have expected. The exile and the estrangement is ending. I feel like the Spirit of God is doing something amongst us. It's nothing new. It's the same old story. He's knitting us together. He's, he's mostly doing that by having us share the same kind of suffering or lack, and then he shows up as El Shaddai and blesses us together. And instead of each and everyone having a little crumb of bread, we just have a big loaf and we just tear from it together and we eat together. And that's when the exile is over. You're not alone in your rejection. If you're sitting here today and if you reject it, like me, then you know what we're talking about. There is an end to it, and you are not alone. Jesus, which is God, Yahweh himself, has been rejected. Not once, not twice, but like continually. And yet, he laid down his life, and if you remember Hebrews chapter 2, he's not ashamed to call me and you his brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed. He's embracing us. When he comes... As we often come, Lord Jesus, careful with that. Because yes, we want him to come now, today, but when he comes, he cleanses his house. And that's not always what we like, but it's good. When he strips us back, he strips us back of stuff that's a danger to our loyalty to him. Faith is believing loyalty, and that's the only thing you need to be okay with God. But you have to keep it. You have to keep it. You have to persevere in that. You have to not give up, and that's why we need community. Because when I have a bad hair day, then you could go to the barber, or you could DIY, or you could have friends who tell you, come on, come on, let me help you. And if you're paralyzed, you have four friends. Ask Mark. Four friends who lift you up and 
get you through the roof to Jesus. And that's why you need community. That's why it's not exactly a good idea to be alone when you're in trouble. Make sure, that's the last bit I want to hope to encourage you, make sure you do not give up on God. You could be part of the establishment. You could, you, you could be such an old Christian that you're part of the furniture already. But what you could do is still reject the king being humble and doing things in a different way. It's easy to watch other people getting excited about Jesus and become critical. It's easy to see unexperienced younger Christians doing things out of enthusiasm for their God and to criticize them in your mind, because you don't really say it in England, do you? But you criticize them in your mind and say, who do they think they are? What are they? That's, that's not how you do it. But it says who? Just careful. Just careful. I've been Christian most of my life, and I find myself still critical of stuff which is unfamiliar and different. But it just might be that the Spirit of God is doing a new thing. It's, it's something to sing, oh God, do a new thing. And then when he does it, you get upset. Please, make sure today we all together, we stick together, and we encourage each other not to give up on him who didn't give up. Amen. I've just asked uh, Jürgen to pray for us. And he was just touching on some really, really important stuff. Yeah. At this time of year, we do remember the one who was despised and rejected for us. And God's wanting to do something new and fresh amongst us. But it may not be the way that we are expecting. We want to be open to all that he has for us. We don't want to be so arrogant or proud that we miss out on what his plans are for us because his plans for us are not just for our benefit but to bless those around us he wants to bless Eastbourne through this church and he needs us to be pliable and soft and open and so Jürgen's carrying something of the heart of God I think this morning I think we would agree with that so I'm going to ask him to pray just, just that guttural prayer for us as a church Yes, Jesus, most of us have accepted you as king and as savior. Hopefully today we're reminded that we're part of the story and we have a role to play. You're up there in glory and we're here, but we're imaging you and we're supposed to rule by serving. I want to pray today for us, all of us present here or even the ones watching online, that you would do something to our heart, peel back some of the layers of our heart, get to the root of it, and hopefully there is this believing loyalty called faith. I would pray today, Lord Jesus, that you speak to those who haven't received you yet as king, who are exploring. There's something miraculous that you did to me and to so many others in this room 
that you have changed our lives and suddenly you have become attractive and suddenly it makes sense and suddenly we have a place in the story and suddenly we have a reason to live and suddenly suffering makes sense and it's bearable and suddenly the other people I didn't like, I start liking them and I start preferring them, I start serving them. That's what I pray for us as a church, to be more like Jesus, not just to take off our clothes our cloaks, our, our, our garments and put them on the road, but actually go with you all the way. And if it, takes, if it takes it to die, then we will die with you. Not just with our mouth, as Peter said, and then deny you, but hopefully go all the way, if necessary. Because that's what you did, and that's how you entered eternal life. And that's how you brought for us eternal life. Our God, Yahweh, we pray today that you bless us in ways which you see seem to be fit, which, which you consider to be best for us. The blessing is sure, but please give us that understanding that it not always comes the way we expect it. Mm. Keep our eyes open so we can see. If we were Bartimaeus and if you asked us, what do you want me to do for you today? It happened just before he entered Jerusalem when he was exiting Jericho and Bartimaeus said, I want to see, Lord. And that's my prayer for us, Lord. Mm. Help us see the multiple layers of the biblical story and our part in it. Bless this church. Amen. Amen. There'll be some here this morning who throughout the morning you felt a a belief, a faith in your heart that you've been thinking, I think this might be real. I think God's doing something in me and I'm having faith in this. You know, it says in Romans 10 that if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. If we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth, we shall be saved. Maybe you want to be saved this morning. Maybe you want to turn your life over to the King to the one that rode into Jerusalem, not as a, a conqueror of Roman oppressor, oppression, but as a conqueror of sin and death. If you want to become a Christian today, if you want to turn over your life to this one who demands everything, actually, he doesn't want just Sundays, he wants all of our lives. He wants the whole of our lives. If you want to, if you feel faith is in your heart, Do that this morning. Don't wait. Don't leave this place without doing that. And turn to someone and say, I've made Jesus my Lord today. That's powerful to do that. Turn to a friend and say, I've made Jesus my Lord today.